0: Good morning everybody it is Thursday the 23rd of July and Wall Street up 165 points our futures this morning were up seven and the market was down 23 at one point today we are now up 15 we are rallying into the government's fiscal update which should include forecasts of our budget deficit and how much COVID-19 is going to cost I imagine it's going to be a fairly sober affair meanwhile Victoria's recorded Three coronavirus cases and five more deaths. Although that's not quite as many as yesterday, it is not a good number. I read an article which was suggesting that it is going to be weeks before we get on top or flatten the curve in Victoria again. I dare say that will colour the government's update today. A fabulous day two days ago, up 155. Yesterday we were down 81. And in the strategy section today, you'll see the chart of the ASX 200 and its sideways nature. We really had a chance there of breaking out of this sideways trading range we've been in for almost six weeks now, but didn't quite make it with this rather floppy performance in the last couple of days. Now, there is loads of interesting stuff in the strategy piece today. I have a debate about which scenario is going to play out, scenario vaccine or scenario virus and what it all means. I have a section on the overpricing of the technology sector I have an email from a member and the strategy summary. Let's have the strategy summary first. As I've just said, market going a bit sideways. Technology sector quietly losing some of the big gains from Tuesday's pop. And we'll deal with technology in a minute. Resources sector's topping out a little bit. BHP had production numbers this week. And Morgan Stanley have predicted a peak in the iron ore price as Brazil comes back online. And I have in the strategy piece a chart of BHP. Very short term, there's been an RSI sell signal and a heckin' sell signal just in one day so don't get too upset about it don't throw your 20-year holding in BHP out on the back of it but there you go. You'll see that in the research today. Worth noting that there's a steady stream of capital raisings popping out. Having worked on the institutional side of broking, I can tell you it's a, a little bit like a queue. You have to get to the front of the queue. You don't want to be raising capital a day after someone else in your sector has raised capital. And usually companies are quite relaxed that they and they will put out the announcement that they're raising capital with their results. They generally sort of wait for results, but there are so many companies needing capital at this point in time, thanks to COVID-19, that the results season could see a bun fight of people trying to raise money. So a few companies are sensibly popping out with capital raisings ahead of the results season. And that continues. Quite encouraged by vaccine chatter. That's getting more intense. You'll see all the stuff overnight about the Americans wanting to buy millions and millions of vials if these large trials are successful. And that really could change the market for the better. And it does seem, if you think about it, that at some point, some level of vaccine, even if it's not a one and done vaccine like polio, it might be a one this year and one next year vaccine like flu. But something will happen on that front, which will dissipate some of the worst fears of the virus. And we're clearly moving towards something. So let's not get too miserable about the market. Meanwhile, the Chinese US relationship is a slow moving train wreck. You might have read overnight the Houston consulate spying accusations. doesn't seem to be upsetting the markets too much, but this is obviously not a positive development for any economy. All eyes are on the July economic and fiscal update today, and I've got a couple of extra little things in there. The canary in the coal mine for the market is the 10-year bond yield. At the moment, it is dead, and you'll see a picture of the bond yield in the strategy piece. It is a lead indicator of economic optimism, and whilst we talk about vaccines and we talk about stimulus. The truth of the matter is the Australian 10-year bond yield and the US 10-year bond yield are sitting at record lows and showing no sign of life at all. When they do start to pick up, that's the bond market telling you that they're getting more optimistic about the global economy, and that'll mark the moment to go back to equities. The moment interest rates start to pick up, you'll see the bank sector flying along and our market picking up, and we'll break out of this sideways trading range. But as I say at the moment, 10-year bond yield is doing absolutely nothing. And finally, on the strategy summary. We still have to buy some income stocks for the income SMA before the dividend season, but not feeling too rushed about that. Now, a couple of other little things from the Baylews research this morning. Let me read this. Investment implications. This is their strategist talking about the recent job keeper and job seeker extensions and Philip Lowe's economic optimism. They conclude with this. Investment implications. We reiterate our extremely bullish view on Australia on the back of removing the fiscal fallout, ongoing Expansion of the RBA's balance sheet and positive progress on vaccines, we lift our 12 month target price for the ASX 200 index from 6,500 to 6,750. At the moment, it's 6,101. They go on to say we expect domestic cyclical sectors to outperform as Australia sees a V shaped recovery. In particular, we highlight the banks, discretionary retail, leisure, transport, infrastructure, housing, and online classified businesses. 12 stocks that we expect to be benefit from a cyclical rally include and you'll have to go to the strategy piece to see all those but interesting whether they are right or wrong these are the sectors that will probably perform and some of these stocks give you a good lead in on what to buy should we see a seamless transition to a v-shaped recovery and on that note let me guide you to our strategy piece where I have talked about two scenarios I've described them as scenario vaccine and scenario scenario virus. And at the moment, the market doesn't know which one to believe. Scenario vaccine is the scenario in which one way or another, the virus ceases to be an economic issue. Lockdown's end, everyone gets back to normal. And that could happen in a number of ways. The virus is brought under control by a vaccine or by containment, which is probably most likely, or is simply ignored through the acceptance of mass infection. Now, the consequences of that are in the strategy piece. That will tell you which sectors will move, on new economic optimism and which sectors will underperform interesting list. And then we look at scenario virus. This is the scenario in which the virus is not contained and continues to be taken seriously. Lockdowns and the economic damage continue, probably sporadically as they are now in different states, different countries, at different levels, at different times, in which case it continues to disturb. We will eventually numb to the virus one way or another. So the outlook for the market in general is probably not too disastrous or precipitous because of the virus. Alone, But if it does continue to hang around, we will see the opposite of scenario vaccine. And again, I've listed what scenario virus looks like in the strategy piece. So how do you play it? At the moment, the market is almost bipolar. We go from one day believing a vaccine and all those stocks move. And then the next day we're worrying about the virus and, and they all reverse and another group of stocks rallies. The overwhelming theme at the moment is clearly scenario virus. The virus is hanging around at the moment. Cases in the US. US are dulling this V-shaped recovery hope. And cases in Australia, while it's a bit irrelevant to the markets, we will get led by the nose by America. But cases in Australia aren't helping. And the key to the market, the key to us making money and the key to us putting our money back into the market in an all-in way, is timing the moment we flick over from our current scenario virus, which is the dominant scenario at the moment, to scenario vaccine. And we're clearly not there yet, although the vaccine news is accelerating just momentarily anyway. But it does explain our rather cautious attitude to the market at the moment, because we are very much dominated by the virus rather than the vaccine. And the sectors that thrive under the current virus scenario, technology, and gold in particular have already got away. So we can't chase those. And the defensive sectors that outperform in scenario virus are of little interest to us because most of them aren't growth companies and most of them have already outperformed. The PE, for instance, on the staples sector is Well, above market average at the moment, and they are not growth sectors. Some of those stocks, however, might be of interest to us as income stocks, and we're working that out ahead of the results season. But they're not compelling enough for us to be putting money into them, trying to get capital appreciation out of them. The odds are against that with this virus backdrop. The good news, of course, is that. There is a significant amount of money to be made if we get the timing right. If scenario vaccine takes over from scenario virus, the recovery in COVID-19 affected stocks will be tremendous. And it'll be much like it was between March 24th and June the 12th. Energy, travel, tourism, gambling, hotels, restaurants, education, employment, auto... And the big cyclical sectors will move financials, banks, resources, healthcare, the housing market. It'll be significant for the index the moment we start to move from scenario virus to scenario vaccine. And that may not come with a vaccine. It's just a name I've given the scenario. It's the scenario where we stop worrying about the virus. And interestingly, when we move to the more optimistic vaccine scenario, things like technology will probably top out, probably underperform. They've been huge beneficiaries of the coronavirus, and I'll come to that in a minute. I'm not sure they'll all fall over, but they'll probably start to underperform as the cyclical sectors get going again. So how do you time this moment where we start to flick over to a more optimistic economic outlook? Well, read the newsletter. <laughs> we are obviously all over it. The lead indicator is going to be two things, three things maybe, a rotation in sector performances. And we briefly saw that a couple of days ago where we had that moment of Australian economic optimism when we got buy signals on five travel stocks on the same day. They've since petered out, but that's the sort of thing that will mark the mood of the market moving. The other significant moves will be the currency going up, which it already is, interestingly. The Aussie dollar's flying around at the moment, over 71. But I would be looking at the bond market. The bond market will tell you it's three times the size of the equity market. They tend to be focused far more on the economic reality rather than the share price exuberance and when bond yields start to rise meaningfully that will indicate a change in long-term economic optimism and you'll see it in the bank sector the bank sector will fly the moment interest rates start going up the bank sector is going to take off again and you will see it acutely in the recovery sectors like energy and travel one day they're going to pop and that's the day you get stuck into the market Well, you might say that's the week or the month because one day doesn't make it these days. So keep reading the newsletter. We'll be jumping up and down on the day we think it's time to rotate. And that's when we will go all in if we're going to go all in. But it's certainly where we will be scared of being out of the market. That day hasn't arrived yet. And as an extra little comment, despite the virus caution at the moment, just because we're out, we're just staying out. If we were in, we'd be quite relaxed at the moment. We're relatively relaxed. And if you're invested relax. We don't see this precipitous correction risk that we saw back in June and we saw in February. And as I say, we're only really out because we got out. And from the outside, for now, we probably see a bit more downside risk than there is obvious opportunity. So we're staying out. We might buy a few stocks. We're not against it. We don't see this precipitous risk. So if you're if you're invested, don't worry about it too much. The market seems quite comfortable at the moment. And I'm entirely convinced that at some point, we're more likely to break up than break down out of our current trading range. We're just waiting for that day. In the meantime, for those of you looking for action, I refer you to Henry's take and Chris's trading section for entertainment. There's always something going on at Marcus today. Now, a couple of other quick things. I had an email today from Adam, one of our longtime members. He says, hi, MT. Most of us have made the broad asset allocation decision at our end, i.e. sent cash to Marcus today for risk forward slash growth. We 100% appreciate capital preservation, but it's human nature to get itchy if the money sits dormant for too long. The fickle customers benchmark is not the ASX200, but the top performing fund manager, Bitcoin, a gold ETF, paying down debts, doing up the isolation kitchen, wasting it on a Porsche, etc, etc. Part of your job is to save us from ourselves, exclamation mark. Thanks as always. Stay healthy. Adam. Reply. Hi, Adam. I don't anticipate we'll be in cash for long. Forward. Forever, so stop browsing carsales.com. Stop browsing carsales.com, Adam. We will be investing at some point. And finally, I got a great bit of research from Capital Economics. I used to be taught when I did my masters of applied finance a couple of decades ago. Was it now? I had one of my lecturers, a professor who used to work for the RBA, who told us, by the way, that he spent years at the RBA trying to develop an economic model that would accurately forecast the future. And after decades of money and manpower and hours and academia and intellect, they threw the whole thing in the bin, I think. It made me very cynical about forecasts from bodies with big names like the IMF or the OECD or the RBA. Not really supposed to say all that, but anyway, it did make me very cynical about Economic forecasting, especially from the RBA. Anyway, a bunch of people from the RBA, I believe, populated capital economics and they are known for their freedom of speech on economics. Most economists we listen to are not really independent. They work for a big fund manager or a big bank and their job is to pacify their customers with docile platitudes that are designed to suck the fear out of their customers and keep them invested. So there are very few independent economists around. But what One of them is Capital Economics, and if you see their stuff in the press, always worth reading it, because they love to speak their mind. Anyway, I got a great bit of research, which I have bastardized today in the strategy section about the overpricing of technology. You really should give it a read, because it tells you why the big six are the big six. That is to say, Apple, Alphabet, Microsoft, Facebook, Amazon. They are now the biggest companies in the world after Aramco. And since the virus broke out on the 19th of February, the combined market cap of those companies are up 16%, whilst the rest of the S&P 500 has fallen by around 10%. And the PE on those stocks is now 40 times, which is double... The rest of the market. Now you might say that that is a reason to sell but you read this piece of research or how I've chopped it up for you to make it bullet pointed and you will realize that these companies really are quite incredible. They are globally vital. They are globally scalable. They're paying less tax than anybody else. They don't let their competitors get big enough to pose a serious challenge. They've bought Skype, WhatsApp, Instagram, for instance. They've made hundreds of acquisitions. They've made 18 acquisitions since COVID-19 broke out. And they have had an environment since around 1998 through Obama and Trump, who is just a pro-business guy gift to this sector. They have had an environment that allows acquisitions and allows monopolies. The last time there was any significant antitrust action from the US government, it was when they sued Microsoft in 1998, when if you remember, they were forcing computer makers to include their internet browser as part of the installation of Windows software. And that was under Clinton 20 years ago. So they have had a lack of imperial interference as they've grown their market shares, grown their profitability, and made hundreds of takeovers as they chopped up the competition before it really got going. And then a coronavirus turned up, which has accelerated all their industries, which are mostly industries that do not require face-to-face. And also, it's allowed them as cash-rich giants I've written behemoths, but I always pronounce it wrong, as cash rich giants to buy smaller cash hungry growing competitors who have been weakened by the coronavirus. So the coronavirus has just fallen into their hands. And the big six have made 18 acquisitions since February. Anyway, the conclusion from Capital Economics is that even a new crackdown on tax or a a new antitrust environment is only ever going to shave a few percentage points off their profitability. And in their words, would not fundamentally change the underlying factors driving the growing power. I've got to ask you, what is the code of that FANGS Plus ETF? Maybe we should just stick with these big six because they're just going to get bigger. And interesting, when you look at the qualities of what's allowed them to grow, Afterpay, for instance, has some of those qualities, being scalable globally. And you do wonder what their future is. The problem they've got, of course, is that they don't have a lot of cash. They've had a capital raising. They have to keep having capital raisings because they're spending all their cash flow on building their business, which is to be commended. But ultimately, they are a morsel in the global context. And they are vulnerable to a takeover. And maybe that's how this glorious chapter is going to end for Afterpay in the hands of one of the bigger companies, Mastercard, PayPal, Visa, Tencent. Anyway, interesting stuff. Go and have a look at the strategy piece today to see some of the charts and comments. Right, that's about it for today. As I leave you, as we run into the government's dose of reality, the market is up 22, doing okay. Let's see what the government has to tell us.